We're reading from Romans 9 again tonight. We'll be reading verses 14 to 24. This is one of the uh, classic texts about predestination. And predestination, if you don't know, is basically the idea that God chooses. God chooses to save some people and to leave others in their sin. There's cause for comfort and also for concern here in Romans 9. Let's read together. This is God's word for us today. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles." This is not the easiest text in all of Romans to deal with. Um, I'm going to talk through this text tonight by asking and I hope answering five questions. There's a lot to wrestle with here. We aren't going to cover everything that we possibly could about this text. But I hope as we talk through these five questions, we get a good sense of what this text wants us to hear and how we can respond to that. I'm going to start by asking how we talk about predestination Then I'll ask, is God really God? Is God truly merciful? Is God really just? And then I'll wrap up by answering the question, how do we respond to all of these things? So first, how do we talk about predestination? There's a Christian satire website called the Babylon Bee. It's kind of a Christian version of the onion, if that helps you out at all. The quality of the satire varies quite a bit. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's just kind of lame. But the Babylon Bee is good at pointing out some interesting, some kind of quirky features of Christianity and our church culture. And recently they had an article about a cage stage Calvinist. A cage stage Calvinist. Apparently this young Calvinist named James Scoover was in a theological discussion with a friend and his acquaintance questioned some fine point of the doctrine of predestination. James flew into a rage at that point. He growled ferociously. He latched onto his friend's arm with his teeth and he wouldn't let go. They had to call animal control and they shot him with tranquilizers and hit him with pepper spray and they finally got him off by luring him away with a classic Puritan work on predestination. So... Applying satire with a really thick brush there. You know, I've never actually seen a Calvinist bite someone over the doctrine of predestination. I've never seen actual physical violence. 
But you do see people on both ends of the theological spectrum get pretty wound up about predestination. I've seen some reformedish folks treat this doctrine like a sledgehammer. They take Romans 9, some other texts, they go to the step of saying, these texts entail these other things, and then they go after our theological opponents and try to give them a good theological pounding. Now, I'm not sure that that's quite the right way to go. I'm not sure the doctrine of predestination really needs to be a sledgehammer that we beat people with. Maybe sometimes we need a sledgehammer to break our complacency and help us hear what God really has to say. But I'm not sure this is exactly the place for that. And if you read some of the deeper Reformed theologians, I think you get a lot of talk about God's glory, about us standing before God with humility, and about the comfort we have as believers. But on the other hand, so that's one way maybe it's not totally helpful to talk about predestination. On the other side, I've seen people from other theological traditions treat this text like a dead weight, like an unnecessary burden. They'll say things like, I believe in God, but I'm not going to believe that God is like that. And basically, they just take texts like Romans 9 and they throw them out. Not any good to us, they say, I'm not going to believe it. There's all kinds of ways that we can be too self-confident, too proud when we talk about difficult things of the faith. So when we talk about predestination, I hope we can do it in a way that's clear. I hope we can do it in a way that reflects what the Bible says to us and what the whole Bible says, and also in a way that's humble. So we want to be clear, we want to be faithful to the Bible, and we want to be humble and give glory to God. And I think when we do that, we'll be uncomfortable in some ways, hopefully we'll be comforted in some ways, and hopefully we'll be drawn to praise the Lord even through this difficult topic. Our second question for tonight then is whether God is really sovereign. Is God really in control of everything? Or to put it most simply, is God really God? This was basically the question I talked about in my sermon last week, but I want to bring that question forward this week and spend a little bit more time on it. And of course, you know how I'm going to answer, right? But just to get the suspense over with, yes, God is God. God is really God. Now, if we were reading Romans 9 for the first time, you might actually be surprised at this section. You might be surprised at how hard Paul hits this point over and over and over again. You might expect him to talk a bit about God's sovereignty, God's in charge, God decides things, and then also go on to, but humans need to respond, and we need to do this, and we need to do that. And that's not what Paul does. Paul really pounds home the point that God is God, and we are not. He's the potter, we're the clay. And why would clay ever think it has the right to tell the potter off. Who are you? As Paul asks. Who are you to talk back to God? The book of Romans wants us to hear really, really clearly that it's God's purpose and God's will that really matters. The Lord is God and we are not. Now, as I said last week, that's a point that we kind of get with our heads, but it's really hard for us to actually live according to it. It's really hard for us as humans to just let God be God. 
from the very beginning, our great temptation, the serpent's offer has been to become like God. Do this, and you can be like God. Adam 4D is a Christian cartoonist website that goes after, again, some of the quirks in our Christian culture, the way we think things through. And in one of his online cartoon strips, he has a conversation between two people. The first person gives a long list of all their ideas about God. God isn't judgmental. God doesn't care what I do. God doesn't care what I believe. God fits my idea of what I think he should be. God, you know, I have my own ideas about God, and that's okay. And then the other person asks, well, really? Do you really think that's who God is? Some kind of lovey-dovey, vague figure who doesn't ever get in your face, who doesn't really fit the Bible? Do you really think that's who God is? And the first person says, well, like I said, I have my own ideas about God. And the second person replies, but that's the thing. They're just your ideas. You've constructed a God in your mind, but his name isn't Jesus. Your God's name really is well, wait a second, what's your name? If we only allow God to do what we like, if we only accept a God who we can always understand, then what we really have as God is not God, but ourselves. If the only God we accept is a God under our control, really all we're doing is writing our own name in capital letters on the universe. We don't want to accept that God is really God. But if we aren't willing to accept that God might be deeper, stronger, wiser, bigger than we can imagine, we're left with a God who looks just like us. And when we look in the mirror, I don't think we really want a God who looks just like us. Really what we need, really what our hearts fundamentally cry out for deep, deep, deep down is a God who is really, really God. I think this is what C.S. Lewis was getting at when he talked about how God isn't safe, but he's good. He's not always safe. He doesn't fit in our boxes. He doesn't always do what we tell him to do, but he's good. He is good, and he is God. And that frames how we have to understand his mercy and his justice. Our third question for tonight is whether God is truly merciful. And again, you know the answer I'm going to give to this question. Yes, God is truly merciful. God is merciful in choosing to save some people. God is even merciful in choosing some people to save. Salvation doesn't depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And when you dig down deep into God's relationship with his people, you cannot get deeper than God's will. There's no place for salvation by works. There's no place for us to feel even the smallest hint of self-justification or pride. Salvation is God's gift to us, and God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. Now, in our heads, maybe that's not such a hard point to grasp, but in our hearts, I think most of us, on some level, conscious or unconscious, struggle with that. This is a real blow to our pride if we say that God is truly, truly merciful. There are things we want to be responsible for. In our heart of hearts, we all want to be okay on our own. 
Maybe we're okay with accepting a hand up from God in some sense, but we want to find within ourselves some reason that God chose us, some reason that God loves us, something in us that makes us worthy of mercy. And so if we say no, there was nothing about any of us. There was nothing about me. There was nothing about you that made God choose to save us. That's kind of a blow to the pride. It's hard to wrestle with that reality that there really wasn't anything about us that was so special that made God say, hey, you're going to belong to my people. And I think this would have stung some of Paul's original audience too. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, Romans 9 starts with a list of all the privileges of God's Old Testament people. They had just showers and showers and showers of blessing from God. And these were real blessings given uniquely to the people of Israel. But it seems like somehow they'd come to feel that they were entitled to those blessings. It seems like they'd come to feel that those privileges, those gifts, were their rights because they were God's people. And so Paul's emphasis here in Romans 9 on God's mercy, God's mercy, who God is, not who we are, that would really have been a blow to them. Don't we get special treatment because of our family history? Nope. Don't our good works count for something? Well, no. But we've done all of these things. We've been part of the right traditions. We're Abraham's children. Doesn't that play into God's decision to have mercy on me? No. Mercy, by definition, is never, never deserved. And God is truly merciful. He looked at people bogged down in sin, messed up by evil, and he chose to have compassion and mercy on them because God is merciful. When we were still sinners, when we had no claim on God, God chose to save us. But now we come to a more difficult question. Is God actually just? Is God actually just? The previous two questions I asked tonight aren't too hard to grasp intellectually. We can get that God is God. We can get that God is merciful. But it can be hard to say, how can God really be just if he chooses to save some people and to leave others in their sins? And different people in the Reformed tradition emphasize more or less that God really leaves people in their sins or he really puts people in their sins. You can argue that out a bit, but either way, it's really hard to get how God can be just if he's going to save some people and not save others. This question of justice is kind of hard to get straight in our heads. Maybe we need to begin here by flipping sort of the mental script we have. I think our mental script says, well, God really should save everybody. But that's not how it is. The miracle, the the surprise shouldn't be that God doesn't save everybody. The surprise should be that God saves anybody. The miracle, the surprise shouldn't be that God doesn't save everybody. It should be that God saves anybody. God would be just in leaving all all of us to his wrath and to destruction. Left to themselves, people will always turn away from God. God's judgment is 
always, always deserved. Always deserved. So there's that. But the even more difficult part of this passage, I think, is the sense that somehow God hardens people for his own purpose and his glory. When it talks about Pharaoh, Romans 9 pretty clearly says that God, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And if you think of the Exodus story, there's a number of points where it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But there's also a lot of times from Exodus, it's about chapter 4 to 14, there's a number of points when the Bible clearly says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Somehow both dynamics are at play there. But in Romans 9, Paul is really emphasizing God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He's focusing on God's part of that equation. And in the end, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart gave God reason, gave God occasion to show off his power and his judgment more and more clearly. Because Pharaoh was so stubborn, God had to keep going round after round after round, and his deliverance of his people became more and more impressive, such that all the nations around were amazed, in awe, afraid even of the Israelites and their Lord God. Somehow through hardening Pharaoh's heart, somehow through the evil that Pharaoh committed, God showed off his wrath and his power and also his glory and his mercy. So God ultimately uses even evil to his glory and somehow, in some way, he chooses to harden certain people in ways that fit with and promote his plans. God is truly merciful. God is also truly just. And somehow, somehow his power, his glory are served by preparing some for destruction and some for mercy. It's a hard teaching. It's challenging for us to really get how that makes sense. But this story isn't really about humanity. It's about God. The Christian story is not really about people. It's about the Lord. All goodness comes from God all glory goes back to him. Now, there's something of a mystery here. I'm not sure we ever see the whole picture, if we can ever trace out exactly what God does or why he wills what he wills. It's important for us to let God be God, to say what the scripture says, to say that clearly, but then also say we don't see all of God's cards. We don't always understand all of God's reasons, we have what we have in front of us in the scriptures. We trust that God is God. He's revealed to us what we need to know. And God has mercy on sinners. And he passes judgment on those who deserve justice. And everything that God does is good. And everything that God does makes his glory known. God is just. God is merciful. God is sovereign. So for our last question for tonight, I want us to focus on how we respond to the Bible's teaching about predestination. How do we respond to this doctrine? And I want to suggest three ways that we can respond. First, maybe this text, maybe this teaching should make us uncomfortable. If this text is true, if God's justice is real, then we are all in trouble apart from Christ. If you're just gliding along in the Christian walk, you will eventually hit this wall. 
If we aren't truly paying attention to Christ, we're in trouble. And if we're counting on anything beside Jesus, we are not going to get there. A more or less good life, a good family history, being part of the right religious tradition, none of these things are what it takes. What it takes is God's mercy. God truly is justified in judging. And so we have this challenge. Do we come to God and seek his grace or do we think we're okay? And remember, the book of Romans was addressed to some people who would have thought they were okay. They would have thought if they did this thing or that thing, I can make it, I'll be fine. And that's not what it's about. The focus is on God's mercy. And if we're depending on anything other than that, we need to check our hearts. Second, while this text can make us uncomfortable, I think it can also serve to comfort us. There's great and genuine comfort in the truth that God is merciful. There is great comfort in the truth that God has mercy on us. John MacArthur is credited with saying, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Let me say that again. If you could lose your salvation, you would. If our eternal security depended on our desire or our effort, on us being good enough, how secure would you really feel? If your eternal destiny depended on how hard you believed, if it depended on your choice to serve God and holding on to that choice through thick and thin, how secure would you really feel? But because we depend on God's mercy, because God is the one who chooses us, if we want to follow Jesus, if we feel the Holy Spirit at work in us, we can be assured that God will carry us through. Our salvation depends on God's will, not ours. So yeah, we have to work to follow God in our lives. There's all kinds of things we do as Christians, but we don't look to ourselves for salvation. We look to God and his will, and we belong to God. Body and soul, in life and in death, he will carry us And finally, one last way that we respond to this teaching of predestination, and that's by giving praise and glory to God. There's a lot going on in this text, but the gospel message is still at its heart. God is God. God in his mercy saves his people. God is God, and God in his mercy effectively, completely, finally saves his people. God has called us to know the riches of his glory. And so the right response for us is to give God praise, to give God glory, because he's just, he's merciful, and he's sovereign.